0: Hello, friends. It's episode 92 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. We're at 92, so I'm gonna give you a fun fact about 1992 that might surprise some of you listening. Let's see if you're surprised about this, my favorite co-host here. That was a great year. It was a great year, yeah, I, I'm, for many reasons, but uh, you would never know, probably, unless you look this up, that the first ever smartphone was developed at, of all places, ibm interesting yeah go ponder that for a little bit as we fast forward to 2022 and we have so many smartphones on the market you can't even count them all on one hand by far but we're not here to talk about smartphones we're here to talk about our weekly of course and i can't do that without my amazing go host mike thomas and mike how are you doing this fine day
1: I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Staying busy. And yeah, 92 was a great year. I was there for 29 days. I remember all 29 of those days very fondly, but uh, it was a great year.
0: Well, um, boy, I'm going to have more to say about that in our first highlight. You just buckle up for that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yes, let's uh, get into it. Yeah, we were both uh, reminiscing the end of year is rapidly approaching. So yeah, the, uh, the busyness is increasing, but we always make time for this. And speaking of making time, we're very happy that this week our curator was Miles McBain, another longtime curator on the R Weekly project. Um, I know he's been super busy these days, so we greatly appreciate his efforts. And as always, he had great help from the rest of our R Weekly team members and contributors like you all around the world. Okay, so for our first highlight, I'm going to take us back a little bit. To set the stage to one of my favorite movies growing up, and this is definitely going to show my age, and in particular, our age difference between our co-hosts here. Imagine with intense focus, there's a nine-year-old boy named Ralphie. He's ready to decode a very important message that he heard on the Little Orphan Annie radio program. He quickly rushes to a secluded part of his house and frantically uses the crucial decoder pin that came with the magazine to uncover what has to be a very crucial call to action. Alas, the message after about a minute or two of frantically decoding it was nothing more than a crummy commercial to drink Ovaltine. I hope some of you know where this is coming from, but it was a classic scene from one of my favorite movies of all time, A Christmas Story. It's not December yet, but with our topic of the first highlight, I thought, well, if we're going to decrypt I bet if he had had R back at those times, he would have gotten a much better message. I'm just taking that leap of faith. Maybe that's a bit of a reach. But our fellow R Wiki curator, Jonathan Carroll, does actually use R to tackle a decryption challenge from the Australian Signals Directorate. In particular, a newly minted Australian 50-cent coin has a set of secret codes as part of the 75th anniversary of the organization. Now, Mike, as usual, I'm honest here. I'll be the first to admit that my skills of lower-level stacks of assembly language bits and bytes have slightly eroded over the years. But this was a fascinating post and a look at a way that R can be just as useful for as general-purpose language as some of those other ones out there you might hear about. Maybe at, least, at least your skills
1: have eroded. Mine uh, never existed.
0: <laughs> well, much like the movie intro, we're also showing probably a, a difference in what happened when I went to school and the fumbled through a CS program that I remember maybe 10% of. But we're not going to go there. Well, let's have fun here. Back to this coin for a second. On the front of the coin, as you look at the letters around the rim of it, certain letters have braille numbers printed underneath. And using a fun technique that was actually authored by Mike FC, who you might know better as Cool But Useless, there's another callback for you, Jonathan coded up a representation of these symbols as bits and performed a little magic and R to move the letters into the right sequence that translate from this braille into the name of a particular algorithm called bash, which... It's not the shell in Linux like I first thought. No, no, no. This is an algorithm that actually is simply reversing the letters of the alphabet. That actually comes into play for the remaining challenges of this. Where on the back of the coin. There is a series of what looks like very random looking letters, not too dissimilar to maybe a git commit hash um, that now needed to be translated into actual words. So using this algorithm that John pinpointed from the front of the coin and combining it with a little base R magic to translate into a handy function, he was able to now decode the actual words in a series of these uh, messages. And then it gets even better because those messages are kind of like, this is gonna give you the the way to answer the next one, such as using matrix manipulation using additional hex decoding algorithms. Yes, this is really on the geeky side, but in the end, he's able to solve the whole set of messages that are encrypted on this coin. Now, I'm not going to spoil the answers, so you ought have to read the post if you want to hear him verbatim from us. But as a self-professed tech geek, I'm happy to see that it's not just puzzles and wordle that were all the, the rage earlier this year that gets some nice press in terms of how our And how powerful R can be at solving some pretty handy logic puzzles, even those targeted at the real, real nitty gritty uh, geekdom of CS languages. So don't think I could do it any more justice than that. But it was a very entertaining read. And Jonathan, I definitely have a lot of catching up to do with you in terms of your skill set for this sort of thing. But uh, Mike, I already feel old enough. What's your take on this?
1: well this was a really unique blog post when when you mentioned that mike fc cool but useless uh, was somehow referenced in here i was like this blog post was just calling out or sending out the bat signal for him uh, to get to be involved in some aspect of this which he had built a little bit of the foundation that i guess jonathan used to do this really really like i said unique blog post which i think makes it really interesting I, i like to see mixed into the highlights a space that i don't really know a whole lot about but i always love a good puzzle and i do also enjoy making that challenge into a base r only challenge which is this what this is what jonathan did here and doing that once in a while to make sure that i'm not neglecting my r roots because base r was where it all started for me before uh, tidy came into play i'm working on a project right now that involves a, a lot of hash data and working with encryption and decryption keys, not something I do a ton of on a day-to-day basis, but a fun side of the brain to exercise once in a while. And and going through Jonathan's blog posts, like seeing what he starts off with is just this random gobbledygook of of letters and numbers and and keys that he's matching together. And then all of a sudden he gets out a message after he, he writes this first little R function that's just, reversing the letters of the alphabet, all of a sudden this message gets spit, spit out that says, find clarity in seven width, X five depth. And it's like, oh my gosh, how did that come out of the, the gobbledygook that got fed into there? So it's it's a really cool adventure to follow along with. I definitely recommend checking it out, even if you're not super interested in this space. It's sort of like reading a great novel to see how he starts at um, you know the initial code and then actually decodes that and gets a message out at the end of it. Definitely definitely uh, suggest taking a look at it.
0: Yeah, it's a great way to give you that teaser into frankly what's probably be is happening on so many different services or frameworks. Like I the aforementioned git commit hash. Like how does git know how to make those random letters? It's obviously a function of what you're changing as you're doing that commit, but the stuff behind that, it's all based in, te- in the languages and frameworks that are being decoded here. Lots of you know, hashing, lots of the different abstractions that is is it is pretty fascinating. Now, I I won't exactly be able to be an expert on this in the near future, but it's great to see some accessible materials that kind of give you that taste of it, and maybe if it piques your interest then Jonathan actually has done an earlier post. I can't remember what time frame it was, but he also solved another challenge from the same organization using a lot of the building blocks from that into this more recent coin challenge. So this has been some continuity for his, uh, ex, uh, his adventures in the coding as well. So fascinating stuff all around. And like I said, John, um, if I ever get to meet you in person again, like I did at our Studio Conf a few years ago, I'm going to shake your hand personally for like, how did you even know how to level up with that? Because that's that's amazing stuff.
1: Yeah, I don't know if this is the right takeaway for me to have, but I just, I just feel like I need to go change all my passwords really quick.
0: You should anyway. That's, a, that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's another public service announcement from your host. But yes, and also they don't they don't sponsor me, but there are some very handy password managers out there. So if you are concerned about that, look up Bitwarden. You're welcome. Thank you. Yes. With, with that commercial out of the way, let's go on to our next highlight. If you think about when you started learning about statistics and data science back in the day, it's probably almost a given that you would start to see the same data sets over and over again to illustrate many of the concepts in both methodology and actually in day-to-day coding and other implementation details. Now, of course, I'm appreciative of all things automotive, but my first hot take, please, please stop using MT cars, all the examples out there, over, okay, done. Okay, okay, I'm not here to dog on automotive data sets, but there is another data set that is even more broadly used as the backbone of many statistical ideas, and that's the IRIS data set. While it is by far not the only data set that comes as part of the base R installation, historically, it has been one of the most cited across the entire collection. And for a variety of reasons, some may be touched on here and some may not, the community has yearned for a more modern and inclusive data set that also contains a lot of the useful properties of the iris set and does away with a few of its shortcomings and, to be honest, controversial history. But in 2020, the talented trio of Allison Horst, Allison Hill, and Kristen Gorman released the Palmer Penguins dataset as an R package with high praise from the R in general data science communities. This is data set that was originally collected from 2007 to 2009 by Dr. Gorman as part of the Palmer Station Long-Term Ecological Research Program. That's a mouthful. Based in Antarctica, and you'll find size measurements collected from three species of lovable penguins, even one species that's near and dear to my heart—the Gentoo species. For all you Linux geeks out there, you'll know that one. Now, this isn't the first time we mentioned this data set on our weekly, but there's been a massive achievement in the continued story of these data that happened recently with a brand new article. Landing in the current issue of the R journal, diving in more specifically into how the Palmer Penguin dataset compares with IRIS in both structure and statistical properties. So, the real world perspective that this data introduces comes to focus early in the article as we learn that the user can both leverage a raw version of the data as well as a relatively cleaned up set, yet, there are actual missing values. This is the real world folks it's rare that we ever get our complete measurements whereas the iris set looked like everything was clean a balanced sample size across its three species that's not quite how the real world works and also through both regression and classification methods illustrated in the manuscript with some really nice and tidy visualizations the penguins data show similar opportunities to identify both simple and more complex relationships among the variables. And the reader can easily access metadata associated with these measurements available in the literature, unlike with the iris set, where we only have a single manuscript that was written in the 1930s that still lacks some clarity on these specific variables. So I'd say combined with these data also being available to other languages like Python, I think the train is not stopping anytime soon for the Palmer Penguin set to become, at least in my opinion, the new standard in many educational efforts of data science methods. Certainly, IRIS is still gonna have its footprint, but I think this modern take on the approaches and combined with its accessibility, for those that want to dive into it further, I think this is a huge win for the community in general. And my big congratulations to Allison, Allison and Kristen for this great achievement on this continued journey of the penguins data set and getting it more entrenched in the community. So Mike, what are you going to learn about penguins after reading this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's, uh, that reminds me of the, the penguins book that I've been reading my daughter lately. It's one of her favorites, but uh, that's just a tangent. I, I think it's important to remember just how crucial it is to to new our learners that they have real-world data sets available for them to use on their, their journey, like you said, Eric. I would also say that it's important for package developers so that we can easily create like Roxygen examples that consumers of our package will be able to easily run in their own consoles. Uh, this is sort of why... I'm going to go uh, play good cop, bad cop with empty cars, but sort of why I have come around to empty cars, I used to hate it as well. You know, it's literally everywhere, but it's this real world-ish feel data set that users can quickly run in their own console to get a sense of what my function is trying to accomplish. But... Empty cars is is not a good data set for predictive modeling. I would argue there are some really unique properties about the iris data set with with respect to predictive modeling that I think ingrained it in data science culture for so long. And even though we knew, you know, over the last few years that it, it had some problematic historical ties, it, it was just so ingrained that it was hard to. Hard to get rid of, but thanks to Allison Allison and Kristen for their phenomenal publication to the R Journal on why Palmer Penguins is the new and much improved Iris. That's what I think this article should be titled. And and I love that the data set is contained in an R package as well. So you can just install.packages, Palmer Penguins, and there is a ton more metadata around the data set, like you said, than Iris has, much better documentation. And and the, the paper, in the R Journal has a phenomenal suite of tables and plots that demonstrates the, the Palmer Penguins data power for teaching predictive modeling. You know, including correlation analyses, uh, PCA plots, and most of these plots are in interactive Plotly visuals, which is really really cool to see that um, in this journal article. And the last thing that I will mention, like you said, the nuances of this data set compared to Iris the Palmer penguins data set has some missing values. Oh my gosh. Like real world, actual kind of data, uh, data cleaning, you know, issues that you might run into.
0: And that's what I think, uh, w- one of the reasons why I think
1: yeah, everybody I, should I really switch enjoy to playing to with penguins, it. And yes,
0: I am partial to penguins and not just because of specific species, but Um, We know who the mascot is for Linux, our good friend Tux. So penguins all around. We all love our penguins. Um, But also we'll have a link in the uh, supplements of the show notes here. Um, There was a tweet that was sent, I believe, by Allison Hill earlier this week at the time of this recording, where they talk about um, how they actually authored this article with our markdown and some handy tricks with Knitter to actually call the code chunks from existing files actually using some of the techniques i think that were outlined by the author and knitter himself eway for actually including code into a chunk more dynamically so i think that was really awesome to see i'll make sure to link to that in the show notes so y'all can check that out too but yeah again congratulations to everybody involved and really excited to see where penguins go from here
1: So we had one more this week that was Efficient Data Visualization with Faded Rain Cloud Plots. We are back to our three, um, I think after a couple of weeks of just two highlights, right? We are back to our three highlights, and this one is by Dallas Nowakowski, who is a PhD candidate uh, in marketing at the University of Calgary. So some more great data science coming out of our friends in the north in Canada. And the plots that he takes us on in this blog journey, I would say, are really interesting for long tail distributions. And again, this is one of those deals where we're going to have to describe data visualization on a podcast. That's why they pay us the big bucks. Ain't that right, Eric? You know it, buddy. <laughs> but um, if, it, if you've never seen a rain cloud plot before, I would say it's sort of like a, a, um, a distribution, right, a density plot that you're showing with the actual points underneath it jittered essentially across one particular axis, or I guess it could be flipped uh, vertically as well. So it's it's sort of overlaying the actual data like you would in a jitter plot um, and putting on top of that, the density curve at at a very high level. That's how I would describe it. Um, and, And I think that they probably are best suited for long-tailed distributions, where maybe just providing that density curve doesn't give some users or, or, or some audiences like the full understanding of what the actual data is. So it really helps to show the data points below it and really drives home you know, the shape and distribution of the data by showing it a few different, showing the same data a few different ways. Um, One thing that I'll point out, I guess, is that that Dallas used a few different ggplot extension packages that I hadn't personally come across before that you may be interested in when you check out his blog. There's a gghalves package, H-A-L-V-E-S, for half-half geoms. And then there is a a ggpp package for position dodge to nudge, which I think is just essentially ensuring that um, your points and your jittered points uh, are dodged appropriately from the the rain cloud above it, if you will, that the rain and the rain cloud are separated um, as they should be. And he walks through a bunch of different ways to essentially visualize the same data through violin plots as well as these rain cloud plots. And at the very end of the blog, I believe there are six different plots that essentially plot the same data a bunch of different ways. You you have basic violin plots, uh, points with box plot, regular rain cloud, the new fade cloud, which is the topic of this blog post, faded violin and split violin. So if you are a data viz geek like myself and really enjoy thinking critically about the best way to represent the data that you are trying to show um, and always looking to add new visualizations to your arsenal, I would highly, highly recommend checking out this this fantastic blog post um, by Dallas. And Even further down the blog, at the very end, he provides all of the code that you need to recreate his plots, which is really, really nice. And if you do, like me, you you are that person that's trying to see the code. Just before the code, when you click this little dropdown that shows it, um, is a really nice greeting that says, Greetings Super Nerd. Uh, with a little '80s movie f- flashback at you, so you just you just feel right at home if you're me.
0: Well, yeah, and if for me as well, I grew up in the '80s, so this even even more hits home. But yeah, that was awesome, awesome little Easter egg there. I need to do that trick when I show the little collapsible stuff. That is that is a handy little egg there. Um, but I really enjoyed reading through Dallas's um, take on this and. I think we all can agree visualizations can be highly subjective in the end. So really, you need to know your audience as you're starting to produce these. But seeing that kind of side-by-side comparison of those different alternatives is really helpful to see maybe for this particular distribution type or what message you're really trying to convey. You've got a few options there, and it's really cool to see. I've actually done things with violin plots in the past as like a a somewhat more bang for your buck alternative to the traditional box, uh, box plot, easy for me to say, but I think it's very important to keep in mind where this is going and what kind of audience you're targeting. So I think there's going to be something for everybody to learn from on this post. So again, great write-up Dallas. And certainly like you said, Mike, there's a few nuggets here in the GG ecosystem and I'll be checking out with some more and I'll, I'll put a links, a couple of those, those that you mentioned in the uh, supplements as well.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So did you find any other highlights
0: this week that tickled your fancy? Oh, yeah. In fact, there's a brand new section, to be exact, that Miles introduced in this issue. Um, We've covered in previous episodes the really innovative work that Urim Ohms has been pioneering with R OpenSci for the R Universe project. And on that portal, on top of actually hosting package builds that anybody can establish a repository for through their GitHub integration, it also has this great section on articles, which are actually composed of the various package vignettes that are across the R universe collection. So you can see across the entire universe, the set of newest articles, and so Miles introduced a few of them here in this particular R Weekly issue. And the one of the three that caught my eye the most was this great new vignette from the PER package about comparing the base R equivalents to the MAP family of functions that PER has, which I think is really helpful as you start to translate maybe what you did in like your early days of learning R, like myself, because I'm not gonna date myself any further, but. It, Oh gee, what did M apply do? How is that compared to what PER does? You know, things like that. That that vignette is really targeted. But it was just another nice feature that I didn't even realize was there. And and that's on me. I need to keep more track of our universe. But I'm really excited to see where that goes. And maybe this is a section we repeat in future issues. But it's great to keep tabs on what's happening there because it's becoming a lot more, a lot more popular these days amongst package authors. So Congrats, Miles, on adding that in. I really appreciate it. That sounds like a really cool vignette. I can't wait to check that one out. I feel like
1: the apply family of functions crowd versus the per family of functions crowd. I feel like that is a heated, a heated topic of debate, you know, when it comes to base R versus versus tidyverse uh, proponents of each. I feel like it always comes down to the apply. So I'm not sure, not sure why, but one of the... Uh, it's heated, <laughs> folks.
0: It gets heated out there. So watch your back. Yep. Who
1: cares? Uh, just <laughs> use whichever one you prefer. They both pretty much do the same thing. How about that? Um, there you go. There was a shiny app. I'm a sucker for a good shiny app by Harsh Krishna. Very harsh takes on Twitter. Um, that really was right up my alley because it was soccer-related football for those of you not in the U.S. Uh, the app is called European Squads Composition. and It allows you to select a team in Europe, and you can take a look uh, at the composition of their players based upon how old they are, as well as how much time they have left on their contract uh, in sort of this color nice, nice tabular visual. So I would definitely recommend checking that out if you are like me and a shiny slash soccer football
0: enthusiast. Where could you possibly want any more of? That is awesome. I'm gonna be checking that out too. It even has the theme toggle too. So all of you, if you like your light background, your plots, have at it. If you like your dark background, you have at it too. So great UX already in a very nicely designed interface. So very cool stuff. But of course there's way more than that in this issue. So we invite you to check out the full issue at ourweekly.org. You're gonna see all the, all the specific items there. Lots of collection of new package updates and even some packages that I depend on quite a bit and some new ones I've got my eye on as I read the the list here in front of me. In fact, this is a bonus little mini find from me. If you want an alternative to package down to create your package documentation, I'm going to be checking out this alt doc package, which lets you utilize a different set of documentation frameworks, um, including mkdocs, which to go in the real big way back Machine is something I used to author a very um, old version of my podcast site. So that caught my eye way, way back in the day. Like I said, I already feel old enough. So I'm not going to expose my age any further, but that was fun learnings from that. But if you want an alternative for your package documentation site, check that one out too. But that's just another example. You never know what you find in these package lists. So Never, never just skim through the issue. Go through it link by link because you never know what you find. And um, speaking of fine, if you see a link that you think we should be broadcasting in future issues, we're a poll request away. So you'll see a direct link to the draft of the upcoming issue. So feel free to send us a poll request with the link to what you'd like us to share. And our curator of the week will be sure to get that in and review it for you. And as always, we're always looking for more help along that front. So if you're interested in joining our team, again, you'll find all that information at our GitHub repo, which is linked directly at the top of rweekly.org. And certainly if you have feedback on the show, even with feedback on my candid hot takes, I'm happy to hear that too. Feel free to get in touch with us. And Mike speaking of getting in touch, Um, you were a little light on hot takes today, but where can they find you nonetheless? I pandered to both crowds today, Basar
1: and Tidyverse. So you nobody should be coming for me. But if you feel inclined to, uh, you can reach out on Twitter at Mike underscore Catchbrook. K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K.
0: Very nice. I am at the cast, So if you want to make me feel even older, I won't I won't judge. Go ahead. But hey, shout out to all the fellow 80s kids out there. Yeah, feel free to get in touch with me. Make me feel not alone here. <laughs> but um yeah i think um before i expose myself too much further that will do it for us on this episode of our weekly highlights and we'll be back with another edition next week